2: Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Friday, July 23rd. Derek Van Riper, Britt Giroli, Eno Saris here with you. And of course, we are presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. The trade deadline frenzy has already begun. We're one week ahead of the actual deadline. It falls on Friday, July 30th this year. Got some cool live stuff we're doing next week. We're going to move this episode from Friday to Saturday to wrap up all of the trade deadline action. But the big move that went down on Thursday is the one we're going to start with today. Nelson Cruz is a member of the Tampa Bay Rays. I think if you were trying to predict trades, it was one of the easier potential fits because you could look at the Rays, you could see a team that was floating the DH, one that could use another little boost on offense, and they're was probably only one other clear suitor. For me, it was Oakland. So it was between those two teams for where Cruz was going to end up. And it turns out it was the Rays, in fact, who made the deal. Joe Ryan and Drew Strotman go to the Twins. Also, uh, Kelvin Foucher going to the Rays. But Cruz to the Rays. Let's just start with that. Uh, are the Rays done? Is this their, their big move, or do you think they're going to keep adding even more pieces here between now and next Friday?
3: So I thought this would have been it, except listening to Eric Neander, the GM of the Rays, talk to reporters yesterday. It seemed like they're pretty committed to kind of going all in or I guess as all in as a team like Tampa Bay with that kind of constraints in the payroll and and things, you know, can go. I think what kind of keeps me from being like, all right, they're they're done. They're they're not going to make any more moves is that farm system is loaded. I mean, they traded two prospects to Minnesota, who has a pretty good farm system. Both of those guys moved up several slots um, because the Twins farm system, which one, has graduated a lot of top guys recently, uh, and two, is pretty well-respected around the league, just isn't as good as Tampa Bay's. I mean, they can trade away young pitching, and there's 10 more guys behind them. You know, we've talked about this for years, the secret sauce with Tampa Bay. So do I think that the Rays are done? Not necessarily. Um, if I'm another team... Am I hesitant to deal with the Rays? Absolutely, because it seems like more often than not, they get the better end of the stick here. And that stick is the ageless Nelson Cruz, who I think could help a lot of people. What was most interesting today to read is is Ken Rosenthal, our colleague, said that the Padres were also interested in Nelson Cruz, which sounds crazy, but sort of tells you a few things. One, everyone wants Nelson Cruz's bat, and if they have to find a spot for him, they'll find a spot for him. And two how beloved that guy is. And I wrote about this in Denver in the All-Star Week, but Manny Machado told me he's the best teammate I've ever had. I wish he was on my team. Him and Fernando Tatis are just totally enamored with Nelson Cruz. He's idolized by so many young players. It doesn't surprise me to hear that some of the Padres petitioned and A.J. Preller had legitimate interest in a guy like Cruz, even though it just doesn't seem to fit.
1: Yeah, you got to make room for a guy like that. But the perfect fit was Tampa because they uh, strike out more than anybody in baseball. And Nelson Cruz, uh, there's only like, I think there was three players that have more power than Nelson Cruz and strike out less. And their names are Vlad Guerrero Jr., Matt Olson, uh, and Max Muncy. So he's a great combination of contact and uh, power. Really going to make that lineup better. And somebody else pointed out another thing on Twitter he murders breaking balls and that's not necessarily something that Randy Orozarena or Brandon Lau are doing well right now. So a uh, really good fit in there between sort of lineup diversity um, and maybe replacing some of the uh, exuberance and uh, team quality, uh, team leadership that Willie Adamas, uh might've taken with him to Milwaukee. There was, you know, everyone talked about how, how great a teammate he was. So, Really great fit. If the Rays have more to do, I would bet um, it wouldn't be as exciting as this. I think it'll just be innings. And I know that people are focused on starting pitchers with the capital S and the capital P. Uh, but you know how the Rays work. I could see them getting somebody like Chad Cool from the Pirates, who ju- just give them innings. You know, three or four innings, and uh, and they'll figure out you know, who pitches before him and who pitches after him. You know, what I mean, like, you know, that sort of deal where they, they, they see something they like in a guy, maybe they think they can increase his spin efficiency or this or that. Um, and uh, and they'll just get innings from somewhere. I just don't see them paying uh, for like Jose Barrios. They would have, you know, probably put him in this deal and made it bigger. Or uh, I don't know, who are the other frontline starters that are that are out there for, for on the trade market.
2: It's thin. I mean, I think it's more like Tyler, rental types Tyler for the Anderson. most part. <laughs> yeah, Kyle Gibson, Michael Pineda, who also could have been added to this deal if they wanted to go that route. Maybe you trade for John Gray. I don't know. Like I, I think a lot hinges on how they feel about Tyler Glass now and his recovery and the likelihood that he's given them high-quality innings later this season. I think if they were going to make one more splashy move, it would probably be for a starter that we don't expect to get moved, right? It's not going to be for one of those rental guys necessarily, mm. but it would be the kind of trade. Like, So on the athletic baseball show for Friday, uh, Keith Law suggested Sandy Alcantara could get moved because the Marlins have a surprising amount of pitching. He you know, was talking about the connection between the Yankees and Marlins. Obviously, a lot of Yankees front office people, including Kim Eng, have been with the Yankees. They know the system really well. That pipeline has been open for a few years anyway. That all makes sense. Maybe they actually give up a piece like Taylor Walls for that. Right you
1: know people we were talking about Taylor Walls for, for Franco here but that doesn't make sense because you don't have you wouldn't have anything beyond this year it's a rental but if it's Sandy Alcantara if they if they believe in in his arm um to that extent then they could give up Walls cuz Franco slides into to shortstop and the Marlins have a bit of an issue i mean like Miguel Rojas is okay but i don't think he's under contract after this year anyway um and uh, getting somebody like Taylor Walls and uh, a pitching prospect might be something that they would look into.
2: Yeah, I just I think it could be something unexpected if there's another big move. Otherwise, if they can't find what they like, I think you're right. I think it's just adding some volume, adding some depth, and in, in doing what they often do. But that puts a lot more pressure on the young guys there. I mean, especially someone like Shane McClanahan. Like I think they expect quality innings from him, or at least. From Patino. One of those guys will have to step up if they don't add more to this rotation, and I think Glass now getting healthy is a huge part of the Rays' calculus, too, and we'll know a lot more how they feel about that based on the next wave of moves that they make. As far as that return goes, Joe Ryan's a guy that came up on this podcast uh, probably February or so, maybe even before that, in part because he was interesting for really deep fantasy leagues, just in case the opportunity came along. The numbers in the minors were really good. You know, I think at the time you threw a bucket of cold water on him as a deep sleeper. There was something in the profile that you didn't like. The results so far this year at AAA have been good. I think the, the benefit for him not being in Tampa Bay is that he could have a path to more innings. The drawback would be that if the Rays had kept him, He probably would have had an opener in front of him and he would have been managed very carefully. And the quality of the innings would have probably been higher. But now he's got a clear shot to maybe be a starter in Minnesota, if not immediately, before the end of the season. I mean, the comp for me is Yusmero Petit because he throws this invisible. And I don't know if
1: I can do this, but here on I'm trying to show it on YouTube. But like basically when his arm comes through his shoulder he leads with a shoulder ah thank you i get the hole <laughs> look at this Woo! all right so when he comes through he kind of leads with his shoulder with his elbow and then the ball pops up um and that's what ben lively did and also that's what usemara petit does and that makes it hard to catch that release point you don't see the ball he hides the ball it comes out and it pop. So, uh, and then on top of that, it's a, it's a high, it's like a, a, a very spin efficient release. So he's got ride, um, and he's not super tall. I mean, six, two, uh, he's not super short, but like the, basically it's a kind of a, a little bit lower release point and then a, a lot of ride. So anyway, the fastball is great. And that's why he has so many strikeouts, but the secondaries, um, haven't really necessarily come together. So there's, uh, for him to be a starter, the secondaries have to be good. And I, right now he's shown like a decent cutter and just flashes on the changeup.
2: Yeah. So still some work to be done, but at least someone who's going to be on the radar in AL only leagues, I think with this opportunity, maybe a mixed league streamer before the end of the season, but I think, you know, did a pretty good job outlining the flaws and the things that might hold Joe Ryan back from being uh, anywhere near as effective in the big leagues as he was in the minors. And of course the big question for today's show, the meat in the Friday show sandwich you know, what's next for trade deadline moves, Britt? Like, what's the next domino to fall? Who's the next player to move? I think there's a handful of guys you hear in pretty much every set of rumors you see in just about every trade deadline forecast sort of piece. So, who's it going to be? Who's the next big name to go? And where do you think they're going to go?
3: My money's on Trevor's story. I think that there's little to no incentive to not trading Trevor story at this point in time. And I think uh, the market for that guy, a lot of teams have checked in. I think the Yankees were the the most recent one. And in that move, they would, what, move Glybar to second, I think I saw, would kind of be the plan um, for that. The thing, though, is the Yankees lost an absolute heartbreaker last night. I don't know if you guys saw that game with the, the wild pitches. And um, I don't know who had it worse, the Yankees or the Dodgers losing on that Check swing call. Um, there were some really, <laughs> really gut-wrenching losses around the game last night. But I think Trevor Story is the, probably the next guy who gets moved. Um, I think a lot of this trade deadline really depends on the Washington Nationals. I um, spoke to Mike Rizzo the other day at Nats Park, and he kind of said, and I think this is true for probably a lot of teams right now, guys, that they have a dual approach right now. They're either going to sell or they're going to buy. And they've got scouts and people and scenarios on both sides. And it depends on what happens the next four or five days, which is yeah. why I think, I mean, which is going to, to me, is really going to impact what happens here. Because a few weeks ago, we all kind of thought maybe the Tigers would be um, this team that would just roadkill and people would just pick them over. Well, now they're really good and they're in a position where they probably aren't going to do anything and why should they, right? Yeah, um, and
1: they hired A.J. Hinch, who's a win now guy.
3: Yes, and the Orioles would be an obvious team to be like, oh, let's feast here. Well, John Means hasn't been good since he came back from the IL. His spin rate has been uh, down, suspiciously down. Uh, they're not trading Trey Mancini, and they're not trading Cedric Mullen. So where – they don't really have anyone either. So where – you know, obviously the Rockies have some pieces that can be moved. Seattle has overperformed. Uh, you look at this list, and, and do I think Chris Bryant finally gets moved after three years of trade rumors? Probably. Um, But there just isn't that many teams that are in total, hey, let's sell everything, burn it to the studs mode. I think a lot of teams are in that weird in-between. And that's why I think that 48 hours before the trade deadline could get pretty wacky as teams kind of have to decide that have been straddling this line.
1: Yeah. You know, I was talking, I was on the Mets podcast uh, with Ted Berg yesterday, uh, and he pointed out that the Braves come to town for a four-game series that ends on the trade deadline. <laughs> and the Braves, if they get swept or if the Mets take three out of four, they could really sort of put the nail in the coffin and turn the Braves into sellers uh, pretty quickly there because because of just how you know that division shakes out, how they lost Acuna and so on. So I think there will be a, a few teams. The Yankees uh, seem like they're kind of in that boat too where, you know, I think they'll buy, but like the, the extent of which, you know, do they give up Clint Fraser? Because that was the rumor, giving up Clint Fraser for Trevor Story seems like that's an aggressive move for me. You know, because I think Clint Fraser is a big leaguer. I know that there's other people who don't and he didn't have a great year or whatever this year. But I think Clint Fraser is a big leaguer and you're giving up a lot of years of a big leaguer for a Rental and Trevor Story for a season that may just be a lost season you know it kind of has a little bit of that feeling even though I've been the one saying the Yankees are good like that doesn't good teams don't always play play well you know good teams don't always win and make the postseason so uh, I would be cautious about giving up Clint Frazier and that's why I thought story might go to the athletics just because I was looking at the market and being like who's going to be desperate for a shortstop you know who who wants it the most and I to me, Elvis Andrews is now sort of a bottom five shortstop in the league. And that could be a, just a real easy way for the uh, athletics to increase their run production uh, is to get Trevor Story. And if the mar- rest of the market doesn't pony up, I could see uh, the A's coming up with something that the Rockies like. But um, if the Yankees are going to go with Clint Frazier, then he's not going to Oakland.
2: Yeah, I think a lot of the contending teams have needs beyond shortstop like most contending teams have a good young shortstop holding that spot right yeah. now you could play story at second base for the second part of the season like i don't think that the would mets be could that much of a stretch it, but like uh, it seems like overkill <laughs> <Yeah>. they <laughs> just pay yeah.
3: lindor like i understand right. they have a lot of injuries but uh i don't know if i'm the mets i'm probably looking at maybe adding an outfielder even maybe like starting pitching depth i feel i like. think
1: pitching I think I think I think would be ideal for the Mets uh would be a pitcher that would be useful in your bullpen. Um you know somebody that you could see like you know being like a four-inning starter, you know being a guy who can give you innings until Carrasco and Thor come back, uh but then also would be a good addition to your playoff bullpen. Uh so I think that sounds like maybe like a lefty.
2: Hmm.
1: I think there might I would be have thought maybe Kyle Gibson. Oh yeah, maybe. Yeah but otherwise a lefty might be interesting cuz uh, I don't think that pen is super left-handed.
2: Yeah, I think the the most prominent lefty available is a short reliever, Taylor Rogers.
1: Well, with Edwin Diaz being sort of a spin rate problem uh himself, uh I would say that maybe Taylor Rogers makes a lot of sense. Left-handed could close for them in the short term. Diaz gets his job back. He's you know, he's the lefty guy. So I think that I like Rogers. The one that sticks out for me as being super, super, super obvious and just needs to happen is Adam Frazier to the White Sox. That's a, even with the the p- bats that they're getting back, they're pretty right-handed heavy. Adam Frazier as a left-hander that can play second base uh, won't cost, I don't think, a ton, and then can play outfield for them next year, um and, and just gives them a lefty bat that's good and. uh You know, I don't think he's an amazing player, but uh, a little bit overvalued by batting average. But um, still, that's kind of what they're missing with Nick Madrigal, right? A guy who will move them along, who will make contact uh, and play from the left side.
2: And he gives you more depth next year. We talked about the White Sox back before the season started. And we said if it goes wrong for them, it's probably because their big league depth is very suspect. Surprisingly, they've tapped into it. And gotten pretty good mileage out of some guys, uh, Gavin Sheets and Jake Berger. More recently, your mean Mercedes back in April, you know, gave them some quality for a, a brief time. Adam Engel, right? So, by
1: the way, glad that your mean Mercedes is not retired and is back in the lineup. Um, I think there's a lot of things that we can blame Tony Larusa for. I'm not sure this one was that. I think it was. I would say from the outside, and I don't have inside knowledge, but I have read James Fegan on the issue. So I feel like I have inside knowledge.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Sign up for the Athletic for three ninety yeah, exactly. nine a month at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels.
1: <laughs> but uh, um, I think it was just uh, frustration. You know, he had his he had his he had a really nice taste of the big leagues. You know, he had like success at the big league level and was playing nearly every day. And then he was back in friggin' Charlotte, <laughs> which I'm not I'm not bagging on Charlotte. I'm just saying like you're like God. damn dang it. And then they also called up other catchers ahead of him because he's not a great defensive catcher. So he's like, God, they're, they could use me right now and they're not calling me up. I could see being like, you know, screw all this. He got pinch hit for in the sixth inning. I could see being like, I'm, I'm out of here.
3: Yeah.
2: He's 30. I think because he spent so much time in the minors, yeah. there's just level fatigue yeah. in place, <laughs> yeah. but he wasn't sent down because someone came back and they just didn't have a spot for him. He was sent down because for a span of two months, he hit 196 with a 264 OBP and a 272 slug. Bit of a scouting like a thing. I
1: think they started filling up the top of the zone and he couldn't do anything about it.
2: You're right. And it, For a contending team, you can't just let a guy like that try and make those adjustments on the fly. So. I don't know if the Yerminator really gets another chance with the White Sox, barring a couple of injuries. They're going to probably make some deals at the deadline, add some depth. And then uh, you add back in Eloy Jimenez that crowds up left field first base DH because then Andrew Vaughn's back in the mix with Abreu splitting, splitting the other two spots. So all of that kind of just leaves him permanently blocked unless there's some team out there that wants to trade for him. And if there was a team out there that was willing to trade for him and just see what would happen with those DH at bats, that might be gone. I would see it as a throw-in. I don't think he's a throw-in. I think he's closer to a DFA than anything else at this point, which is really kind of a a bummer just based on how fun the story was back in April. But at the same time, this is how these types of things uh, tend to go. Defensive
1: value matters. I mean, it's just – if you can't – you have to be such a good bat to be a DH.
3: I think, yeah, work ethic matters. I mean, the Nationals released him because he had a ton of talent and didn't want to work. They had conversation after conversation with him, showing up late, not listening – um with the Orioles he wasn't put on their playoff roster when he got promoted to the Frederick Keys for kind of the same thing so I think you know I talked to someone yesterday who said if he dedicated himself he could hit for 10 years in the big leagues and I think what you saw with the I'm retired I'm not retired still shows a level of immaturity certainly frustration yeah but also immaturity right like this is baseball. Like you have to work hard. No one's going to hand you a position. Um, there are plenty of guys in AAA who feel like they belong in the big leagues that aren't retiring. Uh, you know, I think uh, Eno's got a. <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> but phone I mean, fell. so yeah, that that's kind of like my read on that, and I agree. Maybe a DFA situation. Uh, you know, you. You, at the end of the day, I think makeup still matters. But what's interesting is in Chicago, Tony LaRusa has shown to be a manager who can overlook that if you can hit and you can play. And after that great April, what did he hit? Like 148? Uh, so he just wasn't getting it done at the big league level. And there's really nobody else to blame. You can't blame Tony LaRusa for. In my mind, what happened and what transpired over the last couple of days with Yerman Mercedes um, really at all. But I do want to get back to the trade deadline stuff real quick, because to me, there's two guys who can change the whole trade deadline. Joey Gallo, Max Scherzer. Now Joey Gallo looks like won't get traded, wants to stay in Texas, which is unfortunate for Texas because a lot of teams could use Joey Gallo. Uh, (laughs) um, He's an outfielder. (laughs) Uh, He's an outfielder. Hits for power. um, A lot of teams and I think we talked about it on the show. You put him on another lineup. You know, maybe he gets even more pitches to hit. I don't know. Um, and with Max Scherzer, I'm a little
1: that- bit nervous about signing him to a long term extension too. With the strikeout rate, it's just mm-hmm. that that type of strikeout rate just makes me nervous. It just makes me feel like the other Chris Davis, where it just <laughs> when it goes wrong, it just goes terribly, terribly wrong. And he's like, I know that Gallo is more athletic, uh, I think, than Chris Davis, but Chris Davis with the C. Was a third baseman at one point, and like he's not like a typical doddering first baseman or anything. Like, he was he, he, people said he was athletic and he was a great hitter, and you know, when they were defending that deal. So, I I think uh, a long term extension for Gallo might be a problem for Texas, and then so then you're stuck. Do we keep him because he says he wants to stay here, but we don't really want to sign him to this deal, and we really could use the infusion of talent,
3: (laughs) yeah.
2: Yeah. You trade him. You have to trade him. I, I, he's not a pending free agent, right? He's got one more year left, so it, but you it's get a the lot more from him now
1: than you would mm-hmm. in the off or next next trade deadline. I, I think that, um, to me, like Padres, just the Padres are big swingers. Um, and getting Gibson and Gallo, um, with the ties they have, that you know, that's an underrated part of the trade deadline is that some people have ties with each other. If you look at uh, where trades are made like um, you'll see certain teams line up a lot and it's because of who has whose phone number and who who's willing to who has enough of a relationship with the other guy to look past that stupid first offer you know because if you don't have a relationship with another person in another front office and they send you that stupid first offer you're like screw you like this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard no bye you know but if you're like oh Joe. Uh never mind that offer. You know, like let's let's uh let's swim move past that into something that might actually happen.
2: Hilarious. Yeah. Uh I don't know why that's funny. I don't know why Joe was a funny <laughs> name choice there. I guess because I don't They're can't think of, one off the top of my head. Overwhelmingly white
1: males, right? <laughs> I just picked one. <laughs> hey Joe. <laughs>
2: I think the other player that's kind of interesting in all this, we'll get to Scherzer in just a second, but I think kind of circling back at Adam Frazier, I think Frazier to the White Sox has made sense for like two months. Ever since the magical injury happened, at least, it made sense. It kind of made sense even before that when they had more needs in the outfield. Uh, Whit Merrifield and the Royals' willingness to trade him, I think... It makes sense for the Royals because their best configuration in the not-so-distant future is to have Bobby Witt Jr. and Adalberto Mondesi playing the two middle infield spots together. And I know Merrifield could play the outfield, but he's a late bloomer. He's 32. He's got this really team-friendly deal. I think there'd be plenty of teams interested in him. I was trying to find a fit for him, and I thought maybe Oakland would be a good fit for Witt Merrifield. Kind of just a high-contact high, high contact sort of guy, You know, plays affordable. good defense at second base. Affordable, take ticks a lot of boxes, not a rental. I mean, the middle spots. infield is terrible.
1: You could pick either side of both spots. Yeah,
2: <laughs> And it's, it's not a rental, right? It's kind of like the A is always going to be in the middle. Like They're contending now. They're probably going to try and contend again next year. I don't see another really This is the kind of thing that's worth really giving up more long-term value for.
1: Merrifield is a right-hander, right? So I don't think he's a great fit for the White Sox. Uh, looking through the needs for other teams, I don't think second base is a big priority for a lot of other teams. Other than maybe the Giants, but the Giants seemed really focused, hyper focused on like barrel rate uh, and and power and stuff like that. So unless they wanted to just diversify their lineup and have kind of a contact spray guy, um, I'm not sure that maybe maybe the Giants make sense. But the Giants also, I don't think care about money in this in this scenario. I think the Giants would love to do something like the Red Sox did, where they take somebody's high priced player, you know, and don't have to pay much for it. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's sort of what the Red
2: Sox did with Adavino, you know. Like, no,
1: we'll take Adavino off your hands, you know. Could you give us a prospect too?
2: <laughs> I think that I think among the sellers, even though the sellers, like the true sellers, the bad teams in the league, don't have a lot of players to trade away, saving money is still a thing that all of those teams want to do. So if they'll take a little less talent back if they can save a few million dollars at the end of the season, so I think the Giants could be shopping. From that bin, because I think you're right. I think they've got plenty of room to spend. And as we're going to talk about a little bit, if you weren't taking them seriously a month ago, you're probably starting to take them a lot more seriously right now. Where does Marte go? Starling Marte is a Yankee. I, I'm con- like, Regardless yeah. of whether or not any other deals yeah. or any other players are involved, Starling Marte to the Yankees makes all the sense in the world. And the thing I realized looking at this yesterday is that he has never been in a hitter friendly environment in his career. He's a righty who spent his entire career in Pittsburgh, Arizona with the Humidor, and now Miami. And he's mm. aging more gracefully than I would have expected. Some of his OBP, which this year is a career-high walk rate, but some of his OBP is getting hit by pitches a lot, which is something of a skill and obviously an occupational hazard on top of that. So a little right, risky. on the IL a fair amount. Yeah. Right. I think it's I think it's a skill to get hit by pitches though, it, or or it's just a, a willingness to absorb contact. It's I like guess we'll say it's like a place
1: you stand in the box. <laughs> sort <Yeah. of> deal. <laughs> but uh, I, I I just think that it's interesting because the Astros and the Phillies uh, could really use center field upgrades, and the Phillies are talking a big game about being willing to go into the luxury tax and you know wanting to go in, and they're in a division that's gettable. Yeah.
3: They're not good, though. It's such a weird. <laughs>
2: <laughs> there is that. <laughs> it's, I think Victor Robles needs to become a Philly someday just just to see what happens when those two worlds collide for Brit.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, you guys. Their bullpen was is historically or maybe not. It's off that pace a little bit. But some of the stuff that was going right. on with that team. Um, do you guys think they're a playoff team?
1: I it think seem, they can be. kind of like a 500 team. <laughs> no, no, no. This is
3: a yes or no. Don't dance around in the gray area. Yes well, or no. a 500
2: team is not a playoff team. Are so. they a playoff team? Well, I guess I have, no, I have one I question before no, I answer. No, no, no. How guys... healthy is Jacob deGrom? If Jacob deGrom is not healthy. He's already healthy, throwing. He's
1: already out there throwing.
2: Yeah, but this is like the third little blip that he's had with his arm in the last couple of months. Let's say deGrom doesn't come back or doesn't no, stay healthy know. when With he does. No, I don't know.
1: DeGrom, Thor, and Carrasco, they have enough like, you know,
2: one of these guys will be alright and pitch well. One? One? <laughs> At least. What? Maybe. Maybe one. <laughs> I hope for their sake they're all healthy. I want to see all those guys pitching. The Mets should be able to cruise to this division, but if the Phillies actually are aggressive, if they're actually going to make multiple moves, they can be a playoff team. I think I still believe their foundation Timbrel, is a Marte, notch better than Britt does. Kimbrel, Marte.
3: This was the weakest answer by either one of you guys. Uh, Yes or no. I said they're a 500
2: team and not a playoff team. Derek's
3: been dancing around, probably worried about his Twitter (laughs) mentions later after this goes on. Oh, come
2: on. My Twitter mentions are garbage anyway. I'll say no. They're not a playoff team, but they're not total idiots for buying.
1: If they they try and make the right moves, maybe they can get in it. And if the Mets fall apart. I I hear it. it. The division is surprisingly terrible.
3: Yeah. And you know what's interesting? Is Rizzo said he expected this? I asked him this week. He's like, "Yeah, I thought 88 wins would be like kind of like this division would beat up wow. on each other." I'm like,
1: "That's the projection." The 88 wins. You know, it's also interesting. The Mets and the Yankees have the exact same run differential, the exact same record, and the exact same projection, and just completely different narratives around them. <laughs> Partially because of the rest of the division.
3: Yes, but also to me, the Mets are a more watchable, fun, entertaining team when everything is equal when all, when there's health on both sides. To, I, I think, don't you guys? They're they're a more entertaining team. I want to watch Degrom. I want to hmm. watch Lindor. Um, to me, this Yankees Cole Judge Cole. I I when Cole Stanton? is pitching, the Yankees are a must watch. But when he's not pitching, right. are they are they your first click? Because like you know, you've got the whole world of MLB TV. They're not my first I, click. I
1: actually clicked away from the Red Sox Yankees a little bit the last night, and back over to the Padres Marlins. I I did a little bit of hopping.
3: Yeah. I watch the Rays. Yeah, they're a kind little... of like a
1: grinded out, you know, wait, see a lot of pitches, uh, foul a bunch of pitches off, and you know, slow the game down kind of uh, team. Generally,
3: hmm.
2: I I think with the Phillies, offense pretty watchable, bullpen not watchable. So for the first seven <laughs> innings, watch the Phillies. Once it gets to about the eighth inning, you're Phillies fan. <laughs>
3: Turn on something else.
2: Change the channel. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. But they could make the right moves. They could actually do it. I think the Astros is a possibility for Starling Marte is one that I hadn't thought much about. I mean, center field is a clear need for them. It was one that I I flagged uh, looking through all the different positions, but I hadn't really thought about them actually trading for someone there. I think it would be a pure rental. I don't think they'd retain him because I think they see Pedro Leon or or somebody internally possibly taking over that spot maybe by opening day of next season. I'm trying to look if any other names could be uh, surprisingly moved. I mean, they're Kimbrell situation, there's plenty of suitors for these relievers. Kimbrell, Rodgers, Richard Rodriguez has multiple years of control. I, th- I think he teams... has
1: more than one year too, right? Yeah, yeah, and he's
2: expensive. So I think that kind of narrows the market down a little bit to the more of the big market teams that will spend the cash.
1: To the Phillies or Giants.
2: Yep, those two teams make a lot of sense. Yeah. Initially, I wanted to put him on the Jays. I think the Jays are more likely to go get Richard Rodriguez because. Cheaper. More years of control, and he's cheaper. And I think the teams that are kind of chasing the wild card that are going to buy are looking more for multi-year improvements. Yeah. So obviously, the Jays are a team on the Make rise. Sure you're
1: making next year better, too. Yeah. Yeah. But
2: yeah, if you're giving up future value for a team that has the up arrow for the next few years, you want someone coming back who's actually still going to be there if you're giving up anyone of significant long-term value. Yeah.
3: That makes sense. Yeah. Well, what about the Twins, though? Do you guys think Donaldson or Jose Barrios gets moved? Because the Twins have already dealt Nelson Cruz. Do they just go all in and trade – Everyone who they think, you know, because this was unexpected. They weren't supposed to be bad. So now that they've. Who's going to take
1: on money like that, though? Yeah, and, I don't know. I, I, like, I could say the Giants, but Longoria is going to be back at some point. Yeah. Phillies have Baum. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yankees. Josh Donaldson to the Mets, maybe. And then Davis, Davis goes to the outfield. Yeah,
2: I yeah. think that would be yeah. maybe one of the fifth fits- games.
1: Yeah. That might be all right. That's mm-hmm. not too terrible. Yeah.
2: It is a weird position. Not a ton of teams contending need a lot of help at third base. You can shuffle some things around. Plus, you get Chris Bryant out there too. But the the benefit of trading for Bryant instead, you can move him around a little bit. You can at least feel good about playing Bryant at the infield corners or the outfield corners compared to Donaldson, who plays even center.
1: You know, they asked him on MLB Network what his favorite place was to play, and he said center.
2: Yeah. So I mean, I think Bryant's a, a big piece here, but. Circling all the way back now to the Max Scherzer possibility, I can't believe this is going to come down to these last couple days. I mean, I can, but it's a three-game series at Baltimore starting tonight, and then it's a four-game series on the road against the Phillies, and then on the trade deadline, back home for Victor Robles' bobblehead day. Britt, I will not have any of my collectibles after I move. If you happen to be at the park that day and you happen to trip over a pile of Victor Robles bobbleheads on your way out of the stadium, (laughs) which you will because the fans will not want to bring those home. Please be kind enough to pick one up off the ground and drop it in the mail for me because I will cherish it for a very long time. It'll
1: be the first one
2: in the background at the new place. (laughs) Might be the only one.
3: (laughs) Yeah. All right, all right. I'll see what I can do.
2: (laughs) If if you're going to be there, don't make a
1: special trip. Oh, I'm going to. If I'm here in town, I'm going. Britt. Britt has me convinced, though, that, that, that Rizzo's not going to sell.
2: You think he's not going to sell, so he's going to try and actually add because he sees a path to possibly hang around? I think he'll
1: do the lamest of adding where it's just like a <laughs> rental reliever that costs him very little, you know. Some some little thing.
3: Yeah. Hmm. I mean, guys, they did this in 19. They were like flirting with contention, added a bunch of meh guys, Hunter Strickland, Ronis Elias. There you go. Daniel Hudson. That's it. Nobody thought it was sexy. Daniel Hudson ended up, Rizzo himself said, this is not sexy. The Braves made all these splashy moves. And Daniel Hudson obviously ended up being the last guy on the mound in the World Series that year. But like, the,
1: I'm really interested in somebody getting Michael Givens, you know, he's a rental reliever. Mm -hmm. Uh, He has a really weird arm slot. And if you haven't seen Michael Givens a lot, he's really hard. I mean, once you've seen him a ton, then some of that deception goes away. But like, if you brought him to a new division, people would be like, what is this?
3: Yeah, I mean, people keep asking me about Scherzer and like, as we've mentioned, he could trade change the whole trade deadline. And they're not, Rizzo didn't totally say that they were opposed. You know, if they sell, anyone's on the table. I'm just curious what it would take for them to sell, given what's going on in front of them with the Mets and the Phillies and, and the Braves. Like, given what's going on in this division, would they have to lose every game to say we're definitely sellers? It kind of seems like it, doesn't it?
2: like think they'd have to lose every game or at least you know drop 2 of 3 to the Orioles and then maybe maybe split that second series against the Phillies prior to the deadline because that put them another put them about 7 back depending on what happens up top. They're 5 below 500 as we're talking right now, but all but one team in that division is below 500 right now. So
1: And it doesn't look like a division that's going to produce a wild card, right?
2: No. No, I, mean, I, I still. It
1: really looks like the West is going to take both wild cards. So.
2: Yeah, I mean, the Padres have 57 wins already. They have seven more wins than the Mets, and the Mets are controlling that division. Exactly so it would take so. a lot. It would take a lot for the, the NL West teams to fall back to the pack and not claim both of those wild cards.
3: Yeah. The other thing that makes me hesitant about the Nats going into sell mode is one, they don't really do that. Two, Steven Strasberg threw a bullpen when I was there the other day, and they allege he's coming back this season, which. If he does come back, and he is healthy, and these are all, like, ifs and ands and buts and maybes, but... um,
1: It's a different team.
3: Yeah, they're a very dangerous team, right? Adding Steven Strasburg is a hell of a boost in a very mediocre division. So, if they're within sniffing distance and they truly believe the Strasburg's coming back, why deal Max Scherzer, right? Why deal the Hall of Famer on your staff when you actually could still win the... I just, I don't really see a scenario where they fall out completely and even Rizzo alluded to the fact that like it's gonna be very hard for to convince them that all of a sudden they're sellers right like they're preparing they've got a you know a separate channel there but I think if you're in the NL East it's just I mean it's really tough to look at the Mets and say well we can't beat them because they can Hmm. and I guess that's the you know I made fun of the Phillies but hey they could win the division too and would it really surprise anyone no because that division is just such a mess such a mess. But Scherzer would net would Scherzer net them prospects? Would he give them enough? Probably not because you're looking at a rental. Would he uh, Here's the thing people have kind of mentioned that's just a non-factor here is him having veto power. Max Scherzer wants to win more than anyone I've ever been around. If he's going to a team that has a chance to win, he's not going to veto it. He's not going to require a contract extension. His agent Scott Boris did walk that back after initially saying that was like a mandated thing. So, you're looking at a rental here. Do I think it's worth it for the Nats to trade a Max Scherzer? No. I, I really don't. Their system's not very good. They're not going to get this like horde of prospects for two months of Max Scherzer. I'm just looking at the cost-benefit analysis and I don't really see it. Do you guys?
1: I mean, I only I if you get it. like two or three major league ready pitchers, and like who has that lying around?
2: No one. No one has that.
1: You'd have to you'd have to think that you were revamping your rotation or something.
2: The, the closest thing you could do. I, I think if you were going to do that, it would be a deal with the Rays because they've got depth that's knocking on the door. They're not giving up Shane Baz as part of that deal, right? That's not going to happen. They're not giving up McClanahan. More like they,
1: they give up something like Yarbrough e. or something.
2: Yeah, you'd be digging into like the next level pitchers in that org, which could be great, but at the same time, is that really what you want to do to put yourself out of the playoff race because you're waving the white flag if you get rid of Max Scherzer. You're not you're not going to win a World Series, and that might her. have
1: some ramifications for fan attendance. Yeah,
2: yeah, and I guess that that plays into it too. It's another way to you know not lose money, right? You make some money by keeping the team competitive. and, then Scherzer, and trying You're to make definitely that
1: push. giving Scherzer the qualifying offer. I know the CBA makes everything weird, mm-hmm. so I guess there may not be a qualifying offer. But uh, if the CBA retains that portion, then you would give him the qualifying offer, and you would get some sort of uh, pick for him. So. If he left. I just I, I almost see him extending in Washington.
3: Yeah. But. They really like him. He's closing in on 3,000 strikeouts. I mean, you can make the case. You could get
1: a Hall of Famer with your hat on.
3: That's what I was going to say. You can make the case that he's going to wear a Nats cap into the Hall of Fame.
1: That would be the first.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So, I, I don't know. I, I it's, a little, it's a little bit like the Bumgarner thing, but not quite the same because Bumgarner was more obviously not as good anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so well, here's here's one last thought I is. think for for me on the trade deadline. I don't know if it's the last for us so all. There's a rundown. I should follow <laughs> it. But uh, what if the Red Sox go all in? Rizzo, Kimbrel, Scherzer, Rizzo. You know, oh, a starting pitchers. Scherzer, too. Wow. Oh. But what if they did that? I mean, I I'd, I'd heard from some one industry insider that they thought that could happen. It doesn't seem like Heimblum to do something like that. Uh,
3: well, yeah, but we also it's a bigger
1: team, bigger market team. Maybe he thinks we've got other prospects coming up. If I can do it without giving up, you know, Duran or you know whoever else he wants to protect.
2: I don't know. I think to make that many moves, Cassis or Downs or some of those top end prospects would have, have to go. go. Somebody yeah. have to go,
1: right? I, but I would. What think if you so. could
2: pull it off? Because there's a fair amount of rentals in there, right? Rizzo's
1: a rental. Scherz would be a rental. Kimbrel's high high priced.
3: I think you maybe the, be. maybe the
1: Cubs give him up for less than you expect because he's uh, cost money. Yeah. Well,
2: yeah, because four months ago, if someone had said, "Oh, Craig Kimbrel is going to be someone that a lot of teams want at the deadline," you would have had pushback on that, that based too. on what had happened in the previous two seasons.
1: Volatile, you know, season to season. Maybe you just let him go, and you get you. I bet you could. I I think you might be able to get Rizzo uh, a rental starter and Kimbrel uh, without giving up downs or Cassis. I think you might be able to do
2: it. Maybe, yeah. Maybe g- without giving up a top five prospect. But or maybe the, the, I don't know. Not, if the best player yeah, you give up the, is Tanner Houck, let start talking Scherzer. I yeah. Don't know. If it's Tanner Houck plus depth, maybe you do it.
3: Yeah.
2: Because that's I a like huge windfall. That'd be a good gift for the a Nats. Great stuff plus number. By the way. If if yeah. if we were gonna trade Scherzer, it. It, if we were gonna trade Scherzer, I think Tanner Houck fits the bill of big league ready starter who's really interesting. Again, it's a white flag move for the Nationals, but he's a he guy that's in their rotation need to next year.
1: Include the bat too, maybe Casas or something. I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to imagine what that trade would be like. It's really hard like. with the high name rentals. Mm-hmm. You know, Nelson Cruz is a great bat, but he's a rental, and he got back two guys who might be relievers.
3: He's a rental DH. Yeah.
2: Yeah. He's also he's a, a, a rental DH. He's also 41. He's also 41. Hey,
3: he told <laughs> Eno and I he takes a lot of naps. That was his biggest uh, secret. <laughs>
2: <That's> his <laughs> There's <key>. no
1: secret. <laughs> There's no secret, he said. "I did That's max. his key, to staying
2: young. Well, hey, look, there's obviously a lot that's going to happen here in the next week, and we're as excited as anyone to see how it plays out. And like I said, we'll talk about it in greater detail again after it goes down next Saturday. So no Friday episode next week. We're doing some live stuff on Friday afternoon, but Saturday will be the release of the Trade Deadline Recap Show, which is one of my favorite shows each and every year.
1: High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply.
2: All right, we mentioned this uh, a little bit earlier. The Giants-Dodgers series this week was a big one. Pretty wild turn of events, especially in the final game of that series on Thursday night. Dave Roberts ejected for the second night in a row. Uh, Another blown save for Kenley Jansen. Circumstances in this one, though, Dave Roberts was right to be heated. He was right to get tossed from that game. The Dodgers rightfully like won the game. There was a very close play at second base. It was a forced play that would have ended the game after review was overturned. Runner was called safe. That extended the inning. And then Darren Ruff did not hold back on a check swing. Uh, even on appeal, he was still deemed to have not swung the bat. Roberts lost it. Kenley Jansen's meltdown continued. The Dodgers ended up losing three or four to the Giants. So I at this a little bit earlier. You guys, Like I think we all kind of expect the Giants in the second half to softly kind of fall the third position in the NL West and our question at the time was more are they a playoff team or are they going to be the first team out of the playoffs? Like That was sort of where we're at. If they're going to add, if they're going to spend money, if they're willing to keep building on this roster I think given what's happening with the Dodgers up and down that roster right now, the window for the Giants to actually win the NL West has opened and I did not expect this to happen but plenty of reasons to believe in it now so how much has your perception of the Giants changed just over the last month or so, Britt.
3: Just over the last couple nights, I feel like it's changed. Just watching those games, it's interesting. I'm with you, Derek. I kind of expected them to fade. I think we kind of all did to some extent. Uh but you know whether they should have won last night's game or two nights ago, we can sit here and debate. The fact of the matter is they found ways to win. And I can't tell you how many times we've seen these teams who have no business winning games winning those games right like it happened all the time in 19 with the nationals it happened back my first year in 2008 with tampa the tampa bay rays they would literally just like steal wins from the throes of defeat and that's what this giants team is doing like that play at second base the check swing i mean dave roberts has gotten got thrown out he's not like a Typically boisterous guy, right? He's not Ozzy Guillen. He's not like, you know, he's not going to go out there and argue every second. He got thrown out now in back to back games. And I think it shows you a few things. Uh, one, that there were a lot of bad calls, but you know, two, that this Giants team is just going to take every break and turn it around. I mean, nobody asked Kenley Jansen to implode after those calls went against them. I think if you're the Giants, you win these kind of games and you're like, man, like we could, We could beat these guys no matter what. We could beat these guys even when we should have lost to these guys. And there's no real way to quantify that. Uh, so to me, this Giants team is playing with confidence. Uh, they're playing with a lot of ability, and they're a team that, as we've talked about, is an older team. They're not going to all of a sudden panic in September and be like, oh, no, we shouldn't be here. Um, they've got a lot of veteran guys, and I think that division now, to me, belongs to the Giants or the Padres. Um, I-, I see L.A., especially if they don't go out and make these moves, um, really needing a starting pitcher. I see them kind of fighting maybe for that third slot.
1: Yeah, uh, Giants. A couple things stand out for me: Buster Posey's leadership. Uh, there was this whole thing about Bud Light and Tyler Rogers. So Tyler Rogers blew uh, the third game in the series um, on a on a big home run um, uh, by Will Smith, and said, "I'm just gonna you know have a a Bud Light after the game and try not to think about it." Um, and then it was like Bud Light got involved and, you know, things got corporate. But, uh, the, 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 the thing that I saw that was pretty cool was when he, when Tyler Rogers stepped to the mound the next night, Buster Posey came out and I don't know what he said. It probably wasn't nuts and bolts. It was probably just some sort of pat on the ass type of thing, you know, but he, he somehow, you know, he has that kind of leadership and Buster Posey has been Uh, I think he's already a hall of famer and I think he's a big part of why this team is great. Um, and then the other thing that I think of is just depth, uh, you know, Farhan, when you, when you talk to other executives about Farhan Zaidi, um, uh, and you talk about, Oh, like I, I was talking to an executive and I said, you know, Oh man, Farhan must just have a guy who just works the waiver wire, you know, like just a guy who is like trying to claim players out there trying to keep one roster spot clean one 40 man roster spot clean so you can just always just claim people cuz that's what the giants did for for like the 3 years up to this year and the guy the exact tournament he said no that's farhan
2: yeah yeah <laughs> it, i don't know if you guys remember this piece there was a piece about him talk it was a piece about i think it was the giants or no it was the dodgers front office Fantasy football yes, league and maybe yes, some players exactly, were in it.
1: Exactly.
2: He churns he churns his big league roster the way that a dedicated fantasy player churns yeah. a fantasy roster over and over and over again, finding pieces, finding pieces, trying to get better, just out hustling people on the margins. Which if you're a small market team, you have to do it. If you're a big market team and you do that and you scout well, and you develop well, and you spend money, and you're good at trades, which all of those things, I think, are things that we can start to say are becoming true about the Giants if they weren't previously true, you're in a really good spot to have a lot of success. And I, I think it's funny that he's he's doing it himself. It's not it's not a lieutenant. It's not a, a second-in-command or third-in-command who's actually uh, burning through all those players who are available. Just kind of pushing this toward the trade deadline for a second. From the Giants' perspective, They can trade for almost anything, and it helps them because so many of their guys move around, right? I mean, a healthy Brandon Crawford only plays shortstop, but you look at guys like Wilmer Flores and Lamont Wade and Donovan Solano, some of the guys in the infield right now, they play all over. If you trade for a corner outfielder and you play one of whoever's playing worse, Dickerson or Mikey Stremski less, okay, you made your offense better. You can get away with that. If you added a center fielder and you wanted to play Duggar a little bit in right field instead of center, that would work too. Like, There's so much flexibility because the team is not so established that you can basically go do whatever makes sense and have it make your team and they, actually stand out more.
1: Yeah. And they foment that. I mean, the minor leagues, everybody has to play multiple positions. Um, you know, coming up, that's an edict from the front office. And then you just, uh, you see that the, 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 players he acquires, even a guy like Tommy La Stella or, I mean, uh, Donovan Solano, these guys, like, you know, they may not be so amazing that they will lock down one position, but they are good enough to play wherever every night. And I, I thought a bit about it a little bit in the ninth inning last night when the Dodgers were up, usually the Dodgers have that. Right, usually the Dodgers had that same idea going, where you're like, "Wow, how would they get this guy? How do they turn Max Muncie into it? You know, how do they do that? Um, and why is it like every time uh, it's the bottom of the ninth, like three good batters are coming up? Well, I don't think that was necessarily true last night. Um, I, they didn't put together super competitive at bats in the in the in the ninth inning, at least. Um, and that was something that I thought about during the series. Series uh, for the Giants was just like, "Wow, they." Every inning, there's at least one or two good hitters that come up,
2: you know?
3: Yeah. yeah.
2: And I think some of the other flaws for the Dodgers right now, I mean, Cody Bellinger's first half injuries and his overall struggles this year are a surprise. Mookie Betts hasn't been himself. Clayton Kershaw is on the IL. He has started playing catch, right? So there are some key pieces that are either not doing what we expected. We can say the same as the Giants. Longo's yeah.
1: hurt, Crawford's hurt, Belt's hurt. Uh,
2: sure, no, yeah. I'm not saying the Giants have avoided that, but the step the step down from the Giant starters to their backups is smaller because the ceilings are not yes. as high for those players. Yes,
3: the Dodgers have the, stars. the guys the
2: Dodgers have had underperforming right. are supposed to be like MVP caliber players. You know, not necessarily like two and three war sort of guys, but like seven plus war guys. And I think that's a huge part of, of why this division has been so close and so entertaining. Yeah, yeah.
1: Bellinger is, is surprisingly related all the way back to that shoulder injury. He had a an ongoing shoulder injury that like sort of really uh, became a, a problem when he did that celebration move uh, yeah. and popped his shoulder out in the in the World Series. Um, and that didn't allow him in the offseason to bulk up. So he's at the skinniest he's ever been. Um, and I think that's a, a bit of a problem for him. Already a skinny person, um, you know, and that might be part of why the power hasn't been there for him this year. I, I still think he'll bounce back, but it may not be till next year.
3: Yeah, yeah. And then you can't oh, yeah. you can't rely on them having Trevor Bauer back at any point this season either. So to me, there's just been a lot. The Dodgers have been hit with a lot of key guys. You guys are right, missing. And they, they just haven't been able to, to fill in and, and have these – Depth guys step up like it seems like they have in prior years, where you're like, who even is this guy? Um, all of a sudden he's inserted in the Dodgers lineup and he's great. Really haven't seen that at all this year. And I think people forget, like, um, uh, Dustin May. Like these are things these are guys that they they they've they've missed that they relied on, that they counted on. Um, their starting rotation has really taken a lot of hit. I don't know what other team could survive um the kind of depth issues that they've had. Yeah, I,
1: What do, you, what do say, you guys do about, about Jansen?
2: <laughs> I, I think the timing for this is very fortunate for the Dodgers because they can do something about it. They can be players for some of those relievers we mentioned earlier. right? They can go out and get any one of those guys if they want to. If they want it to be Kimbrell, they can afford Kimbrel. If they want it to be Rodgers because they want a, another lefty they can throw out there, it could be Rodgers. I think they have to add something. I think making that final call really hinges on who that someone is. If they're the team that gets Richard Rodriguez it's a little harder to finally push Kenley Jansen out of that role for a guy who's only held that role for like a year, but you're the Dodgers. You can't afford to dink around anymore. You don't have the luxury of just coasting to the division title. So you can't lean on the past success that you've had in that late inning role for Jansen and just say, well, he usually works it out and it's going to be fine. Like this is probably the last straw. The walk rate's way up. The K rate is down. I think for all the times we have wondered, is this the end for Kenley Jansen? This is the end of him as a dominant late inning arm. We just saw it. Like he was pitching over his skis up until recently, and now we're at the point where he's probably more of like a sixth or seventh inning guy than the guy that you want in the highest leverage spots to finish out a game, which is really disappointing.
3: Yeah. But we've been here. We've had this conversation, it seems like on and off for what And he's
2: risen from the dead before, yeah. is all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah,
1: he's like The Undertaker.
3: He's got nine. I don't know. Lives. I-, I think
1: he's I think he's gone away from his bread and butter. Uh, You can see it. Last night there was a lot of four seamers, and he can't command the four seam. And he throws it harder. So you're wow, wow. like Jansen went to ninety six on that strikeout. Yeah, but it was like way outside the zone, and it was a sinker. Why is he throwing sinkers? What is going on? And so I, I think he's kind of lost. You know, throwing all these four seamers, sinkers, losing the command of them. Uh throwing really hard but not having command and i i understand why he's doing it because if he's if it's just the cutter and it's just ninety one ninety two then maybe he's more hittable than he's been in the past so he's trying to find some way out and i feel really badly for him but i i don't have an answer for you actually i don't have an answer for you because i think he's um a foundational part of your team i think your team might actually be mad if you took him out of the role i think it, i think the team probably supports him I doubt there's many people on that team who are like, oh, we got to take Kenley Jansen out of this out of this closer role. I think they're mostly, mostly saying like, boy, get him back in there. You'll be fine. Like he's our boy Kenley, don't you think? Well,
2: uh. I-, I think that's probably how the sentiment in the clubhouse is right now. And I think what you could do get the help, get someone that you trust in that role. If he continues to falter, see how August goes, and be take ready to out make earlier. that move.
1: Right? Take, don't he's in the middle of blowing a save, you have another guy that you can bring out.
2: Don't push this all the way into September. Don't let this be a question that's hanging over your heads if you do make it to the postseason. And, you know, we're, we're, if in but October we're on the playoff shows. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's like, like they yeah, want a World like, Series with who's their closer.
2: <laughs> try to get away from that as best you can before you get to that part of the year. And, and by doing something about it now, you put yourself in a much better position because you, you've added resources. You've added options that you feel better about that some of the young guys a lot of the guys in that bullpen are either injured guys that they got from other clubs or they're very inexperienced guys that they don't necessarily maybe they don't want to put those guys in the highest leverage spots yet for one reason or another but clearly a team that will be active at the deadline and has more more needs to fill than we ever would have expected back when the season started I would say comparable to Atlanta in terms of the players lost and I think the difference is Atlanta's depth has never really been quite at the same level as the Dodgers, right? It's a big part of why the Dodgers are still hanging around a little closer to where they need to be compared to where uh, Atlanta's preseason expectations were. We had a big announcement on Friday. I want to get to this. Say hello to the Cleveland Guardians if you're watching on YouTube. Look at that. Look at that logo. What's what's the first thing you think of when you see that new Cleveland Guardians logo, Britt?
3: Well, you already, you, you've kind of ruined it for me already, Derek, by saying it was the 1990s angels and now that's all I see. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. That's pretty much what it looks but like. it's a little
1: bit more blocky.
3: I guess. I'm not crazy about the font on the G. How about you guys? Um, I'm a big font gal. I'm not super crazy about that.
1: I think it's supposed to, so the, the Guardians are these Art Deco sculptures that are on the bridge. Mm-hmm. So, I think it's supposed to be kind of an Art Decoy font.
3: Oh, like the Guardians of. I, I get what it's about, right? The Guardians of Transportation. That.
1: It, like, literally, people were talking about it, the Guardians of Traffic. I, I hope that's a colloquial thing. There's got to be a, a fancier name for them somewhere. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I guess I have, a, I have a.
1: We named our team after the Guardians of Traffic.
3: I, it does seem to me like a money thing a little bit. Guardians and Indians are similar. Uh, they don't probably have to spend as much money changing over the G and the C. Like that's a very easy thing, uh, you know. I don't. I don't know. Also,
1: I think I. I think they they probably brought in consult. They have. They, they always bring in consulting firms, right? So the consulting firms say, "Well, you know, we polled some people, and some people really hate spiders." And are really afraid of spiders, yeah. we can't do that. <laughs> and then we asked some people what Cleveland Rocks meant, and they didn't get it. They didn't know if it meant rocks or music. Or I, I, I personally like the music angle.
3: Oh yeah, uh, I, agree. I like the
1: spiders a little bit, but there's there's some nefarious history with the spiders too. Um, and uh, I, I like, I thought they should lean into the music thing. They have the yeah. rock and roll music hall of fame there. You could have a whole season where only rock and music, rock and roll music hall of famers threw out first pitches. Yeah, you would know? be pretty
2: sick, actually. Yeah. And
1: I think the, the you cool thing—ton of postseason con- like concerts and just lean into the whole music angle.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. This is what we—I think this was our favorite idea. I think when we first knew they were going to make a change, I think what's surprising to me is that we had a bracket on the athletic for fans to vote in, for readers and subscribers to, to vote in, and Guardians won. It, it won the whole thing. It won over the Commodores in the finals with like a 56 43 edge. And an, uh, the Cleveland Commodores, at least you have the alliteration there, right? Yeah. Two points in categories. Always nice to get that. But
1: does the I, most boringest thing always win? Because those are the two most boringest. I feel like. Yeah, like
3: we're we're I agree with you. Okay, so if Rocks was confusing, they could have been the Rockets. There's no Rockets in baseball. Could have been the Cleveland yeah, or
2: Rockers. Rockers. Yeah, like Rockers. Rockers. Awesome. Yeah, like I don't rockers. know. Rockers Rocker lost. I- Here were the options in the bracket. Here, here we go. So, top to bottom <laughs> it was Spiders and Comets, Rocks, Red Tails, Rockers, Clash.
1: Red Tails is pretty cool.
2: Guardians and Grays, Blue Sox and Blues, Baseball Club and Captains, <laughs> Walleye and Buckeyes. The Buckeyes, I no. mean, I, I just, you can't, you can't with Ohio State, Buc- you just couldn't yeah. do it. And then the Cuyahogas. And the Commodores. Uh, that's the county. And the Cuyahogas does not roll no, off the tongue at No, but it's, all. it's uh, Cuyahoga County is the. All right.
3: Uh,
2: yeah, you might be familiar with Cuyahoga Falls from the movie Tommy Boy.
3: Yep. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Walleye. Yeah. I don't know. I still like the, the rocks based ones. I I like rocks. I think leaning in like, okay, I am not from Cleveland. I am not from Ohio, so maybe I'm the wrong person to put this out there. But like Eno, the first thing I think of when I think of Cleveland is the rock and roll hall of fame. Like that that is the the cultural Aspect. Of I do Cleveland not think of the guardian of head. traffic, but maybe if I <laughs>
1: lived in Cleveland, I would think of the Guardians of traffic.
3: Also, like I don't know, maybe LA needs a guardian of traffic. I don't know why it's a big oh, Cleveland thing all of a sudden. They need an angry
1: god of traffic yeah. to smite them down.
3: <laughs> I think this mostly boils down to what doesn't offend everyone, and then also what um, is similar to the original name, so that they can keep it. The money-wise, right? They they can. It's very easy to change things over. Right. no one's offended by guardians which is obviously key it's always good when you can change you kind of
1: want to keep the color scheme right yeah. because that that's really deeply embedded you know you also want when you look out you want to see old hats next to new hats mm-hmm. and not have it like you wouldn't want to completely change color schemes or something that would be weird then you'd have like weird red and green or whatever it is so like
3: yeah so i kind of get i think it was just the path I'll be for- Least resistance, right? Like you knew that it that's, had to go. You- that's the
1: that's the that's what I get.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, clearly it was it was long overdue. A name that needed to be changed. I think we were all just hoping for something a little more exciting in the final selection. It could be worse. There are absolutely worse names. But exciting in is not
1: what people do with teams. Like if you think about it, eighty uh, percent of the league is red and blue. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of
2: teams are it's have the birds red, for red mascots. Boring, are birds honest. really that exciting? No.
3: Uh, My question, I guess, is what's their secondary nickname? You know, like the Orioles are also the birds. The Nationals are the Nats. Are they going to be the guards? The Gs? What? Probably the guards. The guards? Yeah. The guards. I think it's the guards.
2: That's all right. At least it's not basketball. We'd be like, do they have any centers? (laughs) I think you should run this by your kids, you know? See what they think (laughs) of it. See if they think it's cool.
3: Because that's all that matters. I did. I did
1: run it by them. They didn't ask me what a stolen base was. I'm lagging. I'm lagging, I guess.
3: (laughs) Eno's dogs are We somehow got into fantasy.
1: We got into fantasy, and so I had to explain them fantasy baseball, which is not the first time I've ever explained them fantasy baseball, thank you very much, but it uh, it was the first time maybe they were listening.
3: Shut up. Eno's dogs, dogs are listening. They're letting us know the Guardians is just not their favorite.
2: No, they are they are not happy about it. Aspiring good boys upstairs, not happy about the name, but it's not, not
1: quite yet good boys.
2: Yeah, soon to be good boys. <laughs> with, with enough treats, they they can get there. Uh, if you want to read more about that name change and all of the things that went into that, you can check out the stories on the athletic. Check out all the great reporting that Brit is doing, all the great writing that Eno is doing, all the fantasy football stuff that's going out with the draft kit. All that for today. one low price. Oh, new yeah. ranks. That's right, new ranks. $3.99 a month is the price at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. As always, you can drop us a line via email ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com. You can also tweet at us. She's at Brit underscore Giroli. He's at Enosaris. I am at Derek Van Riper. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Wednesday. Thanks for
1: listening.